The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. I really may not have anything by the time we get through, but we're going to get through it. Uh, And I hope it's good because this is a great message for this time of year. Uh, We're at the time of the year that we're thinking about loving our family and uh, giving and receiving of gifts and all the things <coughs> that go with that. <clears throat> and this, this goes right along with that theme. And today, I want you to think about this. How do people get their beliefs, or maybe a more appropriate word, agenda, before people? And I think the answer to that is they demonstrate... So the world will know. Now, maybe they don't always demonstrate, but they want to get their message out so people will know what they believe or what they think. I, I kind of think that's why uh, uh, radio talk shows have become so popular because they give a place for someone to voice their opinion. Uh, and I, I listen to very few. I, I do listen to a couple of them, but I usually get aggravated uh, with with other people's opinion. Do y'all do that? <laughs> you know, and uh, so do what? Talking to the radio. Talking to the radio. Uh, my saying, I guess my kids have, is blooming idiot. <laughs> you can't get any worse than a blooming idiot. And uh, so I've tried to not say that as much. Uh, but I'll get mad at somebody and one of them will say, is, are they a blooming idiot? <laughs> And uh, it's not funny, because uh, usually when I'm to that point, I'm not in a good mood. But uh, there's a lot of ways that we, uh, that we demonstrate what we believe. We vote, and when we vote, we're, we're demonstrating our beliefs. Uh, some people demonstrate what they believe by joining political parties, or uh, some people write letters to the government or the government leaders. Uh, some people write editorials to the newspaper. All of those are a way that we, we demonstrate what we believe. Some people pick it, you know, different things. Uh, some people uh, go to extremes and are violent. And I was thinking about some things we had heard from PETA, you know, the people for ethical treatment of animals. They've actually stormed laboratories and, and released uh, lab rats and done things like that. They've, they've gone and thrown red paint on people wearing fur coats and and different things and and what they're doing they're trying to to tell others what they believe they want to show it they want to demonstrate it but in first john chapter 3 jesus gave his followers some very specific instructions on how we demonstrate our christian faith and how we can show others that we're christians on the uh, now, that, that's in John chapter 13. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. <coughs> but in John chapter 13, you don't need to turn there. Uh, the night that Jesus Christ was going to be betrayed, he has his disciples there, and he takes on the role of a servant. Now, during these times, I want you to get this picture that uh, the roads were dusty. We don't have any dust here, do we? <laughs> We haven't had any dust in several months, but uh, during those times, the roads would be dusty. 
folks would be sweating as they traveled. And so if you put sweat on a pair of feet and dust on a pair of feet, what do you get? Mud, nasty, muddy feet. And so when people would travel, that's what they would end up with. They would end up with, with grimy, nasty feet. How many of you wives clip your husband's toenails? Amen. Thank y'all. You need to look around. There are some other ladies that do that here. My wife does clip my toenails because I can't reach them. No, that's, that's, not, that's not altogether true. Uh, but uh, those of you that didn't do that, Amy, Ronnie, do you have any luck there? Shame, shame is your name. Uh, the reason, Neil, any luck there? <laughs> I know, I know, Steve. You get yours clipped, don't you? <laughs> no, no. Everybody that says no, why do you do that? You're like, nah, that's nasty. I'm not going to do that. Well, during this time, do what? You just don't clip yours <laughs> and scratch your back with them that way. <clears throat> when mine need clipping, I just reach over and kick Denise in the bed. She'll go, "Oh, you're totally clipping." I well. <laughs> Uh, my message is not about clipping toenails today, but we need to move on from there. But I do want you to get the picture of somebody's nasty feet. And during those times when someone came to your house, you had a foot washer. And the foot washer was a servant, but not just a servant. It was the lowest servant on the totem pole. In other words, it was the worst job you could have. But when someone come into the house, there was a foot washing. Well, on this occasion, Jesus has his disciples over. Y'all remember what's happening there at the Last Supper? You have a couple of them arguing about where they want to sit. Who's going to be the closest to Jesus? You have others, I'm sure, in different conversations about their ministry, maybe how good or great they were. But during that process, as men were coming into the house... No one washed feet. And I'm sure as these disciples were sitting around thinking about this, they were thinking, well, I'm not going to do that because I've got this status symbol up here. That's going to be somebody else's job. One of the lower servants need to do that. So all of these men come together, and none of them take on the task of a servant. So if you read that story there in John chapter 13, many of you already know it and already know where we're headed with this. Jesus takes a basin of water. He takes a towel. He wraps it around his waist. He hangs another maybe on his arm. He kneels down and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. So the greatest among them takes on the role of the lowest servant and he begins to teach his disciples what they're to do, now in verse 34 and 36, this is what Jesus is saying, this is what he says, this is the words that he concludes this lesson with. He said, this is a new commandment that I give you, that you are to love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another, and by this, listen, all people will know that you're my followers if you love one another. 
So according to Jesus, the way that we can demonstrate our Christian faith, this is according to Christ, the way we demonstrate our Christian faith is to the world is by loving others. Now we could end our sermon right there, amen? Y'all ready to go? <laughs> it could end right there. A bunch of you are going, yeah, let's end it. <laughs> but we're going to go on. But thinking about this, as Christians... How do we demonstrate our love, or how do we demonstrate our faith to others? And Jesus says this, By this, by you loving one another, others will know that you are my followers if you love one another. So Jesus lays out this thing. He's not saying there's anything wrong with writing letters or voting or or different things we've discussed, but when it comes to our Christian walk and our Christian journey, He says, how can we demonstrate our beliefs? And Jesus says our primary way to demonstrate that is through a loving relationship with other Christians. Now, when we say with other Christians, that doesn't let us off the hook for not loving non-Christians because if if we say, well, Jesus' command here says that we're to love other Christians and we don't love those who are not Christians, then we've not done anything. Jesus says... What if we done any more than the heathen do if we just love those who love us? So, so what he's saying here is it begins with this. It begins with loving one another. Folks, when we as a Christian community begin to love one another, a result of that love is it's going to branch out from here to others, right? I mean, it's going to spread beyond this place, and others are going to be seeing, hey, this is a loving church. This church reaches out to one another, and, and from that example, others are going to say, that is truly a follower of Jesus Christ. That's truly a church that loves. That's why Jesus says that. Now today, we're talking about walking on this spiritual journey. And the title this morning is Walking with Others. And that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're looking at is walking with others. Folks, when we come to our spiritual journey... <coughs> We need to realize this, on our spiritual journey, it's not a, a private walk, okay? People will say to you sometimes, well, my, my spiritual life is private. That's just between me and the Lord. You know what? Nowhere in Scripture does it say our spiritual walk is to be private. Nowhere does it say that. And I would say for those usually that say that's just a private thing, there's a couple of reasons for that. Either they're not saved, number one, or number two, they're really not walking with the Lord. They, they just don't want anyone else to know that. So, so when we need to think about walking with others, do we walk together in love as a church? Do we walk together in love? Do we walk together in forgiveness? Or when somebody blows it, when somebody messes up, how do we respond to that? Now this morning I want us to think primarily as brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we respond to others when, when somebody disagrees with us? You know, I had, a, I had the best idea we've ever had at this church. I've brought this up several times. I had these great baby beds, amen? Yeah, who all remembers my baby beds we had? There's a few of y'all. Doug, did you like them baby beds? Me and Doug was on board. They were little old cribs about that wide, about that. And there were six of them. And they would fit in an area about from here to the end of that. They were about that tall. 
and you just put your baby in there, and then there was a little door that just pulled down. <laughs> they were not cages. <laughs> Patsy liked them too. <laughs> you don't be lying to him. The ladies go, those look like cages. I said, no, they're not. They're just organized baby beds. Well, anyway, they got rid of them. Worst move we've ever made. No, probably not. But, but how do we respond when somebody disagrees with us? There's a lot of ways to respond, isn't there? We can swell up and get mad and storm around and... And instead of shout before God, we pout before God and we say, well, it's not my way and I don't like it and if I can't have my way, then I'm going to do something else. Or do we walk together in loving forgiveness? Because that's what Paul's talking about and that's what John is talking about. He's talking about we as a church walking together, demonstrating our faith in loving forgiveness. And there's three different things I want us to see this morning. I hope y'all can bear with me in my voice this morning. It's not bugging you too bad. But the first thing John talks about is we need to show the world our love through one another. Now, this is in verse 11 through 15. If I can grab some water every now and then, I'll make it. Look in verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then he goes and gives an example. He says... Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brother, if the world hates you. For we know that we have passed from death to life. Listen, because we love our brothers... And anyone who does not love remains in death. Verse 15. And anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Now what's John talking about? John begins to, to, to call to walk with others. He begins his call as we walk together. And he's going back to the basic. He goes back to, in verse 11 through 15, these strong words, and he goes back to the very beginning, and he says, wait, I want, I want to teach you something. I want you to remind you something about what it is to demonstrate our faith. He says to demonstrate our faith, we need to love one another. It's more than likely Jesus was even talking about the verse we just read in John chapter 13, that Jesus says we're to, we're to show others and we're to, to follow Christ by our love for one another. And then he gives an example. Now, I want to look at this example real quick. I'm sure most of you here know about Cain and Abel and about the murder that took place in Genesis. But all the way back in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, Cain and Abel is there. And according to John, he says, Cain belonged to the devil. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out here. Cain murdered his brother Abel, and that word murder in the Greek means this. It literally means to butcher or to slaughter someone. So John, John is saying Cain, Cain butchered or slaughtered his brothers because of this one thing. Now, remember this story. As a farmer, Cain brought some of his crops as an offering. Abel was a, was a rancher, you might say. He was an outdoorsman, and he brought an animal from his flock as a sacrifice. 
And when they brought it before God, God found pleasure with Abel's sacrifice. But he denied Cain's sacrifice. Now listen, don't lose this. It has nothing to do with the sacrifice. God didn't look and say, well, you're bringing a grain offering and you're bringing a lamb offering. I'm going to accept the lamb. I'm going to deny the grain. That's not what God did. Both of these men brought an offering to God. But God didn't find pleasure in Cain's offering. You know why? Because of his heart. He didn't have a heart for God. Now, I'm going to come back to this in just a minute. I want you to notice something. If you go and read this story, God warned Cain that his anger was eating away at him and that if he didn't change, it was going to open the door to even a greater sin. This is before he murdered Abel. So God said, Cain, you better get a hold on this because you're stewing around in your anger. You're stewing around and because of that, Sin is going to pounce on you, and it's going to get even worse. Now, Christians, I want us to think about this. When we have a disagreement with someone, we just let it stew around. I mean, we just sit there and let it eat on us and let it eat on us, and, and we just can't let it go. That's what happened to Cain. He, he just couldn't let it go. And when God began to reveal to him, you have something you need to let go, he just refused to listen. He just ignored God. So in his anger, as it festered, it finally turned into resentment. And after it turned into resentment, he took his brother Abel out in the field and he murdered him. Now here's something I want you to think about. The very first homicide in the Bible, the very first murder in human history, that's Cain murdering his brother Abel, is a story of anger fueled by religion. Have you ever thought about that? That's where it started. It started with some brothers over something religious. In other words, if we look around and we think about a church and we think about folks who come to church, Cain came to church, didn't he? Cain came to the altar. Cain brought a gift to God. But you know what? He was going through the motions. He had a, just a veneer. He just had just a covering of someone who was supposed to be a Christian. But according to the Lord, according to God, his offering was anything but where he needed to be. See, his heart was wrong before God. I want us to think about this. When we're serving the Lord, are any of us here doing that with just a veneer? In other words, we're going through the motions and so many times the invitation comes and, and maybe the God, God is, is pricking our heart and maybe God is leading us and we say, well... Everyone else thinks I'm a Christian, and, and after all, I'm a good person. I, I bring an offering. I do all of these things. That's where Cain was. But his heart was far away from where God wanted him to be. I want us just to think about that. I want us to ask ourselves, where are we in our relationship with God? Because we, we show the world who we are by our love for the brethren. According to John, we can't love the brethren apart from Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can get to the point of loving our brethren. Now, I want to remind you right here, I don't think we have this problem in this church, but John is writing to a church who's divided. Y'all remember, they're in a battle zone. They have a teachers leading part of them this way. Part of the church is left because they don't believe what 
what the true word says. They don't believe Jesus Christ was the Savior. And, and in this congregation of believers, they're in a battle zone. And because they're in a battle zone, it's tearing the church apart. Now, folks, we still have that today. We still have churches that end up in a battle zone and, and churches split and churches split and, and hateful words are spoken and maybe different people say sometimes it even leads to violence. And good Christian people never speak to other people who are Christians. You know what? What does that tell the world? When the world looks and, and sees brothers and sisters in Christ who refuse to live in love, who refuse to love each other, what does that say to the world? It tells the world, hey, they're no different than we are. And that's why Christ tells us they know who we are by how we love the brethren. Amen? Now here's the second thing. We need to show the church. First thing we see, we see that that we need to show the world, but we need to show the church. And he goes on here in verses 16 through 18. Look at your scripture. Now this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And dear children... Let us not love with words or tongue, but let us love with actions and in truth. Now, what does John go to doing right here? He goes to meddling, doesn't he? He goes to meddling with us, and, and he says this, how can we show our love? Now, this morning, you may say, well, this, you're talking about this love, and that sounds pretty abstract, and, and after all, we might say, sure, I love all of of God's creatures. I love all of God's creation. If y'all remember Linus, his famous line was this, I love humanity. It's just people I can't stand. That was Linus's favorite line. You know, I love humanity, but it's just people I can't stand. So, so what does this love look like? This morning, if I was to ask you, uh, we talked in First John, we talked about loving our brothers and, and demonstrating that. What does that look like? And it doesn't mean that we become a doormat. It doesn't mean that we are uh, never able to disagree. We can disagree all we want to. You're going to be wrong. I'm going to be right. But we can disagree on them baby beds, right? Me and Debbie, I bring this up all the time, don't I, Debbie? I've, I've let it go. Do you believe that? Do what? I did get them. Oh, that was just, y'all went there and tore them up while nobody's here. <laughs> Loving like that doesn't mean we, 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 can't agree, we can't disagree. So instead of John saying we need to look at some kind of philosophical ideal about what love is, we need to go to, to Webster's and look up what love is. We need to find a definition of what love is. He lays out a definition of what love is. This morning, if you'd say, okay, I want to see what this kind of love looks like. John lays it out. He gives us two illustrations. The first, he says this, someone who lays down his life. That's what Christ did. And that word lays down, it's a picture of someone who takes off a garment and, and lays it out on our behalf. Someone who lays something out on our behalf. 
That's a picture of what Christ did. He took God's love and he laid himself out on our behalf. He laid down his life on our behalf. Now, if you were standing on the edge of a pier out on a beach, and if you've ever been down to, let's say, Florida, and, and I've not been to Galveston, but I'm sure there's piers there. But in Florida where we go, there's a pier, and it goes way out, I don't know, three or 400 yards out into the ocean. And when you get out on the end of the pier, you're, you're probably, I don't know, you're 30 feet, aren't you? Probably 30 feet from the water. If you catch a fish, they've got a basket you let down and you, you work your fish into that basket and you lift the basket up. But let's just say you're out on the end of that pier and some guy comes up and says, this is how much I love you. And he dives off the end of that pier and drowns. Well, what are you going to say? That guy's a nut. You know, you're not going to say, well, I understand how much he loved me. I understand this gesture he made. But why in the world would he do that? So, so when we think about laying down our life, we might think that's a, that's a nice gesture, but that's a waste of a life. Now, think about it this way. You're on the end of the pier, and that fish pulls you in. And somebody dives from the pier and takes you and brings you to safety. And as he brings you to safety... He says, this is how much I loved you. And as a result of him saving you, he dies. Well, all of a sudden, you understand how much that person loved you. You understand that that person truly laid his life down. He doesn't just come out and jump off a pier. He demonstrated his love. And that's what Christ did. He demonstrated his love for us. The Bible says, in while we were sinners, Christ demonstrated. He laid down his life for us. We were dying. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters he lifted me, and safe am I. That song says, love lifted me, and that's what Jesus Christ done. He lifted us, he demonstrated his love, and he wants us to do the same thing. Now listen. How do we do that? You may say, well, that's one thing. Yeah, if you, if you need me to lay my life down, give me a call sometime. But John gets very practical with this. He says, this is how we do this. This is where he starts meddling with us. He says, if you have material possessions. All of us today do, don't we? We all have material possessions well, Jake, now you're meddling with us. If I thought you was going to preach on giving, I would have skipped today. Well, I'm not preaching on giving. I'm preaching 1 John chapter 3. And God's Word says this, If you have material possessions and you see a Christian with a legitimate need, how do we demonstrate His love? How do we demonstrate it? We help them. We meet that need. And through meeting that need, we show others who Christ is in us. Isn't that interesting? You know the thing that's interesting? That is so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to see. God has blessed me with these things. And I see a brother in Christ who has a need. And the reason God blessed me with these things is that I might meet the need of a brother. Isn't that simple? 
And in doing that, we're showing the church the love we have. We're showing the world the love we have in Christ Jesus. Now, Mark Twain said this. He said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me. It's the parts that I do understand that bothers me. I don't need to stand up here and try to explain what that means. Most of us understand what that means. And we need to follow through in love. Let me give you some examples of the ways you're already doing this. Do you know how you're already meeting these needs? If you give to an offering, if you gave today or if you give on a regular basis... 13% of everything that comes into this church goes to missions. 3% goes to Red River Valley Baptist Association, which ministers to all the churches in this area. 2% goes to the BSM, Baptist Student Ministries of our local colleges. Not only that, we have Edwin L. Hodges Ministries. Y'all may see a, a box out in the foyer. We help send literature across the sea to people that don't have literature, biblical literature. Campus Crusade for Christ. We support a couple that goes around the United States with marriage counseling for others. We, we do that through the support of this church. We have mission work. We, we reach out to the Hope House in Cooper. We give a certain amount of money every quarter to the Hope House in Cooper. We... We get involved in all kinds of giving in this church. We have opportunities to where uh, we support different ministries, OCC boxes that we've we've got Operation Christmas Child. That's a way we support that ministry. We have angel trees, and they're due today, and they're out there on the table. That's a way that we fulfill this ministry. I don't know if if, how many of y'all know this, but about three times a year, we, we, we feed 50 kids at the elementary school for a week. That's what we try to do. Now, I'm not doing this to put us up on a pedestal. What I'm doing is I'm showing you ways that we're already showing the love of our church, that we're already reaching out to others. Lottie Moon offering we're taking up right now, Annie Armstrong Mary Hill Davis offerings, all of those offerings are ways that if you give to this church, you're supporting what John's talking about here. He's talking about reaching out and showing the love of the church to the world around us. That's how we can get involved. The problem is we don't mind doing those things for the most part, but when we see a brother or sister in Christ who's really close to us, we tend to isolate or insulate ourselves from that person and kind of look over that. John says this, if we want to really show our love and show Christ's love, we do that through demonstrating our love to brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we reach out. We, we can get so busy and we can get so focused on our needs and the things we work for, we can miss the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how they'll know that you're my disciple. If you love the brethren. Here's the last thing. We show God our love. And and we're going to close with this. Verses 19 through 24. Find that in your scripture. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. And how we set our hearts at rest in His peace. Whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. And He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. 
and we receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His command to believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and to love one another as He commands us. And those who obey His commandments, who live in Him and He in them, and this is how we know that He lives in us, we know it by the Spirit in which He has given us. Now what does that mean? Here's where I want us to close this morning. In 19 through 24, John kind of changed his topic here. He kind of shifts gear, and what he's talking about, this, this word this in verse 19, it looks back at demonstrating God's love through actions. And he talks about it here. He says, if our hearts condemn us, what does that mean? I think what that means is when you hear a message like this, when you begin to think about, do you love the brethren? Do you really love those around you? If your heart condemns you, in other words, you begin to feel uh, like, hey, I, I, I've not done those things. Hey, I, I'm, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I've, I've failed in these areas. John says this, wait a minute. Here's the good thing. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Let me tell you about a church one time. I have no idea where this church was. I'm not going to say any curse words from up here. I imagine you're glad of that. But we were with some friends of ours who are unchurched, two families. Barry, you might remember this. And we were in Mansfield. Our boys were playing a baseball tournament up there, and it was a Sunday afternoon. We pulled in a restaurant to eat a meal. I don't know if it was supper, probably supper. And there was a suburban pulled in, and there was about three families or four families got out, and they were loud talking. I mean, you could hear them all over the parking lot. And one of the men said, and I told him that was my, he took God's name in vain, added a little explanation after that that was my church and I would run it any another curse word that we only let you play on TV any way I wanted to <laughs> and the two couples with us looked at me and said did you hear that <laughs> now what did that tell the world this man said, this is my G so and so church and I'll run it any way I please to run it well I didn't say anything because they could have probably all stomped me, Ronnie. Just like that guy. Ronnie protected me from a, a would-be beat-me-up-for-passing guy the other day. That's a different story I'll tell you about sometime. But, uh, but I wanted to say, you know what? It's not your church. And surely God's not pleased with you bragging about telling off other church members that this is my church and I'll run it however I want to run it. But that's how folks are. They lose focus of what Christ is about. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit of God begins to convict our heart. And as it begins to convict our heart, you know why He does that? Not that we'll leave with our heads down thinking, oh, I'm a failure. I've not met those needs. John says, Christ is not living in me. You know why He does that? The Holy Spirit of God convicts us that we might turn to Him 
and that He might restore us. Look at this. Because God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. So what John is saying here is God is greater than our feelings. He's greater than our emotions or our doubt or our lack of assurance. What God thinks carries more weight than any of those other things. And when we begin to think about John wraps these things up, we need to believe and we need to love. Folks, if you struggle this morning with, hey, I'm not sure I've been born again. I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. Well, there's a couple things you can think about. Number one, have you ever asked forgiveness of the Father? Have you ever confessed that you've sinned, that you've fallen short, and you want God to come in and and forgive your sins and through the blood of Jesus cleanse you? If you've done that, you're saved. The other thing that kind of gives us assurance, if those things bother you, if your heart is convicted by those things, you're probably a Christian because a non-Christian's not going to worry about those things. In other words, a non-Christian's going to go... I don't care if I love the brethren. It's my church. I'm going to run it the way I want to. A non-Christian, and I'm not saying that guy's saved or lost. I'm just saying a non-Christian, that's not going to enter into his mind. So folks, put it to rest. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, put it to rest. And then move on with loving the brethren. If we want our church to grow, if we want to be on our spiritual walk where God wants us, He lays it out so plain. If you love the brethren, if you love the brethren, then the world will look and they'll know that you're my disciple. Would you bow your head with me this morning? God measures our obedience not by the size of our Bible, not by our church membership, not by how many days we come or how many days we missed. Maybe you're here today, your heart's anxious before God and you maybe have some doubts and some struggles. First thing, make sure that you've come to Jesus Christ. You've asked forgiveness. You've asked Him into your heart. You've asked Him to save you and lift you from that sin. And then remember this. God's estimation of you outweighs any doubts, outweighs any other thing that we might deal with. We're to respond to one another in love. We're to respond to one another in love. I think God would challenge us. I think He does challenge us to start loving one another, to start demonstrating God's love to one another. We need to love people in tangible ways, specific ways. And you know what? If we'll become available then God will show us the ways that we can love the brethren. Let's start there. You know, I'm not, I don't know about our church. I feel like we have a very loving church. I don't know the hearts of everyone here. But you know what? If we'll start loving one another, if we'll start loving the brethren, then I think we'll be amazed at how that love filters out from this place out into this world. Our community and those around us, but it begins right here at home. Father, I pray this morning, as we just consider your love, as we consider loving the brethren, I pray, Father, that in our spirits and through your spirit, you would show us the needs of those who are in our community, who are in our church today, brothers and sisters in Christ. And, Father, if you have blessed us, 
that we might reach out to bless others. Father, that we would take the, the gifts that which you've given us. Father, I thank you that this church is already reaching out and ministering. Father, to folks in this community, in our state, in the United States, and even beyond in other countries, that we have a part in that ministry. And Lord, I thank you for those in this church that support those ministries through their giving to you. And Father, I pray locally as we just consider our brothers and sisters in Christ, Father, that we would minister to those locally as you direct us. Lord, I pray that we would know that you give us ideals, you give us a vision, and we're to fulfill them with your blessings. Lord, I pray today through just the foolishness of a voice that's going bad and uh, the foolishness of a man's words that your truth have been proclaimed and that your truth of love would fall upon our hearts and would find fertile ground. Lord, as we think about this time of year, as we think about loving others, Lord, I pray that our love would begin here in you and would spread beyond this place. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.